All right, well, uh, if you came in late, my name is uh, Charlie Keyes. I'm the youth pastor here. And um, if you don't know, uh, Roman, uh, who's our pastor of discipleship, and Rick, our senior pastor, uh, we plan out our sermon series you know, several months in advance. We meet about once a quarter, and we'll sit down, and we'll look at the next three to six months, and we'll say, okay, what are we feeling like? What are we, you know, in prayer, what do we, what do we sense that we need to focus on? And back three or four months ago when we were talking about parenting, I was like, yes, that's going to be awesome. Let's do it, because I need some help, right? I'm like, I need some help. I've only been doing this for four years. And then Rick um, just... I guess if you want to call it wisdom, said, you know what? I think, Charlie, you should preach in the series. And I'm like, wait, what? Like, what do I have to say? What does a, a veteran parent need to hear from me? I mean, I'm a rookie. I've only been doing this for four years. But as I began to pray and submit to authority and do what I was asked, I just felt the Lord begin to bring to my mind memories of uh, what I've seen, experienced, and guided students through over the last 15 years. I started in youth ministry in 2012. Uh, I've been doing it uh, ever since, so about 15 years of ministry. So if you, if you don't mind, for just a moment, I want to share with you a few memories, a few things that, that I've witnessed in, in 15 years of, of student ministry. In those 15 years, I've counseled countless students who are struggling with who they are, who they should be, where they're supposed to go in their life, uh, what college should they go to, what degree should they get, should they date Johnny, should they date Sally, uh, should they break up with Johnny, should they break up with Sally. I've, I've just counseled students with, through all of these big life decisions. Uh, at one point uh, in my ministry, I had to call 911 and uh, chase a student through the streets of Amarillo after he swallowed a handful of pills uh, to try to commit suicide. I was there from the moment that he Attempted suicide to the moment that the paramedics arrived and um, it saved his life. Uh, I've got a, a student and a youth group through an unexpected teen pregnancy. I've attended a funeral with a student whose best friend was shot and killed while fighting with his girlfriend over a gun. I've sat next to a student uh, as he attended his own mom's funeral. I've helped students destroy their stash of pornography. And I've had to pray with and counsel several students whose lives were derailed by bad decisions with camera phones. And that, that's a kind of an abbreviated list as I was working on my sermon. I, I had many, many more and I always kind of debrief with Christine and say, what do you think? And she said, I think you need to trim some of those back. You know, I had about, you know, 15 years worth of bullet points and uh, it's hard not to share those, but I just began to pray, okay, Lord, like, why are you bringing all this up? Like, where are you moving? Where are you going? And I feel like there's two things the Lord wanted to share based on these memories. And the first one is this. There's one thing I've learned after 15 years in student ministry is that it's, it's difficult in this day and age to be a teenager. I know millennials get a bad reputation for being lazy and self-centered and uh, focused on technology and not being hard workers. But um, I just, for a moment, raise your hand if you went through junior high and high school without a cell phone. And I'm raising my hand. Raise your hand. Keep them up. Raise your hand if you went through junior high and high school without a cell phone. Okay. Now put your hands down. For those of you 
who went through junior high and high school without a cell phone. I just want you to imagine. Just think back to those years. Let's just be for a little bit. (laughs) Think back to those years. And I want you to think about every success, every failure, every breakup, every bad decision, every crossword you had with a friend, uh, every embarrassing moment, every fight that you had being photographed and documented and put, it on, and put on the internet for everybody to see. Doesn't that sound awesome? That's what our students live with every day. And again, I shared this in the first service. A lot of times they bring it on themselves. But the reality is they face every day with the pressure of everything they do right and everything they, be, they do wrong being put on the internet forever for people to know about and to judge and make decisions on. I think about one student that I had who uh, got into a fight. It was out of his own control. Uh, he was defending himself. I believe him when he says that. Uh, he was at a park and had to defend himself. And of course, anytime... A fight happens, everybody circles up, right? But instead of chanting, fight, 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 everybody was busy pulling out their cell phones and videoing it. And then he went through the pain of that being posted on the internet. People were commenting on whether he was winning the fight, whether he was weak, whether he was a man. He went through the embarrassment of his parents watching him punch somebody in the face and watching him being punched in the face. His youth pastor saw it. That's the life that that our teens and our students go through every day. And add just another layer to that to go back to what Rick talked about last week about social media. The average age that a child is introduced to pornography is currently seven years old. Why? Why? Because Johnny is given a smartphone without any restrictions on it, and maybe he's doing an innocent Google search, maybe he's not, some inappropriate images pop up, and while he's on the playground, he calls us, hey, come look at this. So those are the, that's the environment that our, that our students and our children are facing every day. So number one, you need to put some restrictions on your children's phones. I, I mean, I cannot stress that enough as a 15-year veteran in student ministry. It is so dangerous and so reckless to give your child a smartphone with internet access and with a camera phone and not talk to them about it and not in some way restrict it or hold them accountable in some way. It's so reckless. I mean, that, that's what keeps me in business is parents who are giving their kids smartphones without any kind of restrictions. But number two, we should be praying for our, for our teenagers and our kids because it's hard. There's a lot of pressure because everything you do right and everything you do wrong, everyone's going to find out about through social media. But two, I feel like another thing that, that the Lord, or reason the Lord was kind of stirring up those memories is to say this, parents, your relationship with your child is absolutely crucial to their health and well-being. Now, like I said before, I'm a, I'm a four-year rookie of being a parent, but there's one thing that you learn real quick when you're a parent is it's, it's a lot of times a thankless job. 
You know, when you're changing your kid's diaper, they don't pull you aside after and say, hey, man, I really appreciate you taking care of that. I didn't, I wasn't expecting it, but I didn't know how to handle it, so thank you for jumping in. You know, sorry for the smell, but it was my bad. But that doesn't happen. You change the diaper, two seconds later, they poop in it again, right? It's a thankless job. But I want you to sit in that, and I just want you to receive that sincerely. You are crucial. Your relationship with your child is absolutely vital to their health and well-being as a person. Now, I want you to notice what I did not say, though. This is where we start. This is where I start stepping on toes and where parents start tripping themselves up. I did not say your ability to control your child is absolutely crucial to their health and well-being. Because the painful reality is, ultimately, the only person that you can control is you. The only person that I can control is me. I can't control my kids. And some people in here were like, that was obvious, right? <laughs> when, when Shannon's banging on the drums. But I, I can't control my kids. I can only control myself. And understanding that truth is, is absolutely vital to what we're going to talk about today. It's absolutely vital that we understand the only person we can control is ourselves, especially if we're going to take seriously what Rick said last week when he challenged us as parents and said, your high calling as a mom and a dad is to, number one, help your child fall in love with Jesus. It's vital that we understand that we can't control anybody because you can't make someone fall in love. You can't force someone to love Jesus. You can influence them. You can encourage them. But you cannot control them to the point that they fall in love with Jesus. And so if we're going to take that high calling seriously, if we're going to attempt to influence our children to fall in love with Jesus, we cannot do it by control. So then how do we do it? And I think... If our high calling is to help our children fall in love with Jesus, if that's what we're called to do, that we're equipped to do, if that's what we signed up for, shouldn't our parenting closely model the parenting style of our Heavenly Father? And that would be kind of like a a no-brainer, right? If we're going to help our kids fall in love with Jesus, shouldn't we parent our kids the way that our Heavenly Father parents us? And so that's what I want us to do for just a moment. I want us to go, and I want us to go to Genesis chapter 2, just three quick verses, and I want us to look at the very first father-son relationship. This is the interaction between God the Father and Adam, his first son, okay? Now let's read this uh, here. Uh, This is Genesis chapter 2. The Lord God placed the man, that was Adam, into the Garden of Eden to tend and watch over it. But the Lord God warned him, you may freely eat the fruit of every tree in the garden except the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. If you eat its fruit, you are sure to die. So I think when you read Genesis 1 and 2 in those first few chapters, it's very clear that God desired to have a relationship with Adam. Can we agree to that? 
He wanted a relationship. He wasn't trying to create minions or little robots to rule his empire. It wasn't, you know, an effort to make robots. He wanted a relationship. It talks about in other places that he walked with Adam in the cool of the day, that they talked and they interacted and they worked on projects together. So this wasn't like a, you know, an evil villain minion scenario. This was a father wanting a relationship with a son. But I think if you dig a little bit deeper into Genesis 2, you'll also find that God very quickly was laying a foundation for that relationship to grow and mature. And I want us to look at that. The first thing that God did in Genesis 2 is he gave Adam a responsibility. He looked at Adam and said, hey, son, take care of the garden. Tend to it. Multiply on the earth. He gave him these responsibilities. But... In his wisdom, the father also gave Adam boundaries. Don't eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. You can do all this other stuff. Don't do this. But then our heavenly father went a step further and he established, bum, 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 consequences. If you do eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you will die. You will surely die. And so our heavenly father, in an effort to help his relationship with his, with his son, the first son grow, he established responsibilities, boundaries, and consequences. Now, here's what's weird. God the Father is all-powerful, right? So he could have done anything he wanted to. I mean, like sharks with lasers on their heads, you know, anything he wanted to keep Adam and Eve from eating from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, right? I mean, he could have taken whatever pencil he used to drop in Adam and Eve and just kind of like erase their mouths. Or, you know, he could have put a moat with, you know, alligators with rockets attached to their heads. Sorry, I got four-year-olds. You know, like whatever he wanted to do. And he could have controlled the scenario and made sure without a doubt, without any fear that Adam and Eve would never eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. But our all-powerful, all-knowing, full of wisdom God did not do that. So we should probably say, why? Why didn't he do that? Because that whole eating the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, it's kind of caused a few problems. So why didn't he do that? The reason he didn't do it is our loving, all-powerful Heavenly Father knew that control erodes relationships. When we try to clamp down and control somebody, from that point forward, the relationship begins to erode. Now, for all you who are like, man, I'm glad he's talking to parents. I'm not just talking to parents. I'm talking to you too because we try to control our spouses. My wife didn't say amen, so that's good. We try to control our spouses. We try to control our friends. We try to control our parents, right? And when we try to do that, when we try to clamp down and force our parents, our kids, uh, our teachers to do things, the relationship immediately begins to erode because when you're being controlled, when somebody clamps down on you and says, you're going to go here, you're going to do this, you have to say this, you have to say that, when that happens, one of two things start to occur. Either number one, you become resentful and so you rebel. You push back. Or number two, you become lazy so you never mature. Oh, well, if you're going to make that decision for me, if you're going to decide what I do, that's way easier than me figuring it out for myself. So that's cool. So when we try to control others, we become resentful or become lazy. And our Father, in his infinite wisdom and love, didn't want that type of relationship with Adam. He wanted a relationship that was maturing, that was growing, 
that was developing and becoming more complex and more fruitful, and that will not happen in an environment of control. There has to be choice. But that's the trap that we fall into as parents, right? <laughs> we, when we're uh, dealing with our, when our, with our kids and they're not doing what we're supposed to, uh, we try to control by uh, nagging. Students, this is not the time to say amen. Um, by nagging, uh, we use guilt, we complain, we yell, we threaten, we bribe, we plead, uh, we f- complete assignments that they forgot to do, we bail them out of trouble to help them try to avoid consequences, all in an attempt to control our kids and control the life that they experience. It's control. And honestly, controlling kids is a lot easier in the short term. It um, eliminates fear. You know what's going to happen because you're in control. Uh, it's not as embarrassing. And many times our desire to control our kids comes from a good, good place. It's, it's sincere. It's not like you want to be this evil dictator. Uh, you just know what's best for your kids. So why not just make sure that the best is what happens? But here's the danger. I want to give you a scenario. We're going to use my kids as an example so you don't feel like I'm talking about your kids secretly. Um, so let's imagine my daughter, Kara. She's two right now. Uh, but let's just imagine she's 12 years old, okay? And she's super smart already. But let's just imagine she doesn't like to do her homework. She's like, Dad, that's dumb. I'm not doing my math homework. Now, if I really harp on her, if I sit down at the table and it's like, you are not leaving this table, young lady, until you get this homework done. If I hover over her and say, you have to get it done. You have to get it done. You have to get it done. Do it. Do it. Do it. Do it. You're not getting up. And I just kind of harp on her and she does it. She's going to get better grades, right? Probably. And if she gets better grades, she's going to get scholarships. If she gets scholarships, she's going to get a college degree. And then once she has a college degree, her life is set, right? She's good to go. Right? Some of our college students, you know, right? Once you get that paper, it's all easy from there, right? No big decisions, no, no hardships, right? Right? We have, like, everybody's laughing under their breath over here. Here's the, here's the truth. And Rick said it, so you can be mad at him, not me. You're not called to set your children up for life. You're called to train them to fall in love with Jesus. And if you take control of their life, they'll never become independent. And if they're not independent and able to make decisions for their own, if my daughter can't make a decision to do her homework, how is she ever going to mature to the point that she can make a decision to love Jesus with all of her heart, soul, mind, and strength? See, it looks on the surface like it's just homework. And I'm just trying to help her get a degree. I'm just trying to kind of make sure life goes the way that she wants to. But secretly, I'm robbing her from the opportunity to learn from consequences and to make decisions for herself and to be independent. Now, that is all graduated based on age. I'm not going to sit down with her now at two and say, hey, it's up to you to figure out what you want to eat for supper. It's time to be trained, right? Get the pots and pans out. You know, you'll learn not to burn your hand on that hot stuff, right? It's, it's all graduated. But what happens if we take control is we'll run into scenarios like a graduate student that I recently uh, found out about. Graduate student. So she's gone through elementary, junior high, high school, graduated from college and is in graduate school. And she forgot about an assignment. She had no idea what to do. 
So she had to call her mom, say, Mom, I forgot to turn in an assignment. What do I do? And I don't know. I don't know her, and I didn't know her parents, but at some point she was robbed the opportunity to make decisions and to, and to, to make decisions based on consequences. She had no idea because everything had been controlled and decided, and here's what you do when this has happened. Here's how you're going to take care of that. She had no idea what to do. Now, that's the control scenario. Now, I want to give you an example of what it might look like if we exercise a parenting style that was more focused on consequences and on training. And this is the wet towel scenario. And so I picked on Channon, or picked on Kara earlier, so now I'm going to pick on Channon. Uh, Channon's awesome. Uh, he's, he's a great kid, but one day uh, he will be a teenager. Lord, help me now to prepare. So let's just imagine Channon's 13 years old, okay? He goes to take a shower. And when he gets done, he just throws his wet clothes in the bathroom floor, his towel, getting it all wet, just throws it in the bathroom floor and just leaves it there. God, don't you know as a parent, I'm annoyed. And don't you know as a parent, I'm like, Channon, pick up your towel, man. It smells like teenage BO in the bathroom, bro. Like, pick up your towel, right? And so I've told him a million times, pick up your towel, put it in the hamper. And don't you know, parents, that when I walk in the bathroom and I have my, my socks on and I step and I step on a wet towel and my socks get wet, anybody hate wet socks? Come on, right? Just don't you know that the fury begins to bubble up inside me and I just begin to just think in anger, he is so selfish. What a slog. I've told him a million times. He never listens. And then I start picking on myself. I start saying, self, if you can't, train Channon to put you know, dirty clothes in the hamper, how's he ever going to be a man? He's never going to graduate. He's going to be here when he's 45, right? And you're just furious. And so then typically what happens is you like kick in his door like Robocop and you're like, get in there right now, pick up the towel and you fall and you're like, yes, the towel, yes, the underwear, yes, the socks, the hamper's over here, come over here, open the lid, put it in there, Ugh. right? Anybody, any parents had that experience? They're like, I'm not that crazy, right? That's what happens. And you're furious. Now, did the clothes get in the hamper? Yeah. But who got the clothes in the hamper? I did. By controlling my son. He didn't learn anything. He just, hey, if, if I don't want to be yelled at anymore, I'm going to pick these up and I'm going to put them over here. Now, Remember, we can only control ourselves. And so there's a better scenario than what you just witnessed. So if I can only control myself and I can only control my reactions, this is a way that I might pursue uh, this situation and try to resolve it with Shannon, uh, focus on consequences. It's like, hey, bro, you got to quit leaving your, your stinky wet clothes in the bathroom floor. I mean, look at my sock. It's totally wet, right? You're... You leaving your clothes is an annoyance and it's a, it's a hindrance for everybody else who uses the bathroom. So I'm just wanting you to know, from now on, if you leave your clothes in the bathroom floor, I'm going to pick them up and I'm going to put them in, in your room, in the floor in your room, and then you can deal with it. See, I'm not, ang I'm not angry, I'm not yelling, but I'm also not controlling. I'm giving him the opportunity to choose his consequences. 
If he doesn't like the smell of teenage B.O. in his room, if he doesn't like waking up in the middle of the night and his socks getting wet, when he walks on the wet towel, he's going to choose to deal with it differently. Now, somebody in the first service was like, that's all well and good, Charlie, but what if there's a pile of mildew, you know, reeking clothes in the middle of his floor after two months? Well, folks in consequences doesn't mean that you don't parent. You can still parent. You escalate the consequences. You say, hey, bro, your room stinks. It reeks. Now, you can sit in there and smell it up if you want to, but if you want to go out on, on a Friday night with your friends, you're not leaving it if that stinks like that because I'm not going to smell that in my house. So, again, he has the opportunity to choose. I'm not forcing him to. I'm giving him an opportunity to decide. And what that does is that begins to train him to think independently and to make choices and to determine consequences. And if I want him to watch my life and watch Christine's life and watch the life of everyone who he does church with and get to the place where he's able to choose independently of his mom and dad to fall in love with Jesus, I have to train him to do that through consequences and dirty clothes and homework and things like that. I'm training him to be independent and able to choose especially to choose to fall in love with Jesus. Now, I love what uh, Debbie Pincus says. Uh, she's the author of an amazing book called The Calm Parent. Uh, the Calm Parent, it really heavily influenced this series. Uh, she says it like this. You can influence your child, but you cannot control them. You can take charge, but you cannot take control. So, if you're a parent this week, I want to just challenge you to spend some time in prayer and just ask our Heavenly Father, who is the perfect parent, Heavenly Father, will you look at my life? Will you look at the way I'm parenting my kids? And will you, uh, with grace and with compassion, reveal to me if I'm trying to control or if I'm trying to train my kids through consequences? Help me see where I'm failing and where I'm trying to take control and help me to know what to do differently. And uh, if you're not a parent, I challenge you to pray a similar prayer. Lord, examine my relationships. Am I trying to control my friends? Am I trying to control my boyfriend? Am I trying to control my parents? Or am I just trying to live a, a, a relationship with them of influence and giving them the freedom to choose for themselves? Now, before I pray, I know uh, many of you are thinking, okay, guy who doesn't know my kids up front, that all sounds really great in church on Sunday when my kids are uh, in, in uh, uh, the nursery, but you're not around when my kid does whatever your kid does. You know, loses it, gets angry, yells, cusses, steals, whatever it is. And, and I get that. I mean, I have kids. I know it's hard. It's hard to, to enforce consequences instead of just like grabbing them by the nap of the neck and say, pick up the towel right now, Right? So next week, we're going to spend time talking about how do, I, how do I, how do you stay in control of yourself so that you can parent through influence and consequences and you don't give in and fall into the trap of just taking control and trying to force your kid to do what you want them to do. Because again, if you do that, you're setting yourself up for resentment and rebellion or just laziness and immaturity. And so... With that, let me pray for us, and um, we'll move on to whatever's next.